listening to Young Black Equestrians, the podcast with your hosts, Abriana Johnson and Caitlin Gooch. Thank you so much, Pam, for joining us on another episode of Young Black Equestrians, the podcast. I hope you're doing well today. Yes, I am. Thank you for having me. We usually start out each episode with just sharing something that we are thankful for. So if you want to go ahead and start with something you're thankful for today. Really thankful for my family and I'm thankful to live another day. Never promised to anybody. So really thankful to be here. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Something we cannot take for granted. Yeah, that's true. Aubriana, what are you thankful for? Today, I am thankful for understanding clients. I have hired a person to help me at the front desk, and she's working through, you know, what she needs to work through. I mean, she's new. It's a process with anybody. So I'm just thankful for the clients that are really nice about it when she takes a little bit longer. Just because I've been there for very long, you know, I can speed through stuff, but people aren't being nasty to her. Well, One person was, but the majority of them are not nasty to her. So I'm just thankful for people being understanding because, I mean, at the end of the day, we're all just people. So there's no real need to be nasty about stuff when somebody's learning. Very true. What about you, Caitlin? I'm thankful for all of these books that I have collected over the past two years for Saddle to Read because people either sponsor the book or they just sent money for me to buy books. I've been trying to transport most of them that are in my room mm-hmm. to the car because I have boxes up here. So I'm thankful for these books. I was going through them today. I love keeping track of the collection you have there. Social media is great. <laughs> yeah. She got some cowgirl Cameron in the library. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> Pamela, if you don't mind telling us a little bit about yourself and your background and what discipline you ride and where you're located? Okay, sure. Uh, Well, my name is Pam Millen. I'm actually a Virginia, D.C. native. I grew up in the northern Virginia area the majority of my life. Came from a military family and then went to school, graduated, started in the workforce, and I ended up moving to Alabama in 2012. Right now I'm living in Alabama, but my heart is still kind of in the northern Virginia, D.C. area. My riding background is in hunter-jumper riding. That's where I, I started out. Just kind of went from there. That's cool. I feel like we've seen a good number of hunter-jumpers lately. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm riding dressage now, but I started out in the hunter-jumper world. It's very different. You know, mm-hmm. It's the same, but it's different. Yeah, yeah. But it's great to see that representation still. Me growing up, I never saw any of that. I just saw Western, and that was it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, okay. I actually rode in an English saddle for the first time last last year or maybe or maybe three years ago, but it's fairly recent. Okay. And I've been riding horses since I was three. But how did you get into horses? Well, I've loved animals since I was very young. Growing up in Virginia, kind of a historical colonial area in that section of Virginia. So I lived near what's called Mount Vernon. A lot of colonial type things happened around there. And they still had an active stable that was right along the main highway. And I think that it was preserved so that the city couldn't come in and do anything. I don't know for sure, but I just suspect because it was just really out of place. 
So growing up, I always enjoyed watching the horses as we drove past. And also as a little kid, I, I watched a lot of My Little Pony. So I really kind of took to horses early, even though I never really had much contact with them. When I was in second grade, one of my friends there in class, she took lessons at the stable at Mount Vernon. And I just remember being so jealous because my parents couldn't couldn't afford them. Mm -hmm. But I still kind of watched them from afar and everything like that. So around the time that I was 12, by then I had moved into the D.C. area. You know, I didn't really get to see the horses or anything as much anymore, but it was still in me. I didn't realize it. So about the time I was 12, I went to a weekend-long carnival, and I had done all the rides. I did all the games by the end of the carnival, except for the pony ride. So I said, well, can't leave this carnival without at least trying the pony ride, so let me go ahead and do that. And I thought it was just, you know, they'll put me on a little pony, and I'll walk around, and I'll be that. Well, they put me on a horse, because they had a horse there, as well as some ponies, and I still remember his name. It was BG. They took me around the ring, and sitting on top of that horse, I was just blown away. It was the best feeling in the world, just experiencing that a human and a horse could actually become one Mm -hmm. like that. And I knew you could train dogs and, like, circus animals and other animals to do tricks, but what really clicked with me was that now it was possible to actually harness the elegance, the beauty, the size, the strength, power, the gracefulness, and the intelligence of a horse. And I just wanted more from there. So after that, I just read everything I could get my hands on. I got magazines. I got books. I wanted to learn everything I could. And shortly thereafter, I also got a job volunteering at a stable in Maryland, just across the river. So that's where I kind of learned. You know, I mucked stalls and I watered horses. And I would have to work two Saturdays for four-hour shifts before I could earn one one-hour lesson, and that way I could work off my lessons and not have to pay for them. Mm-hmm. So in that respect, I learned a lot about the hard work that it took to own and care for horses. And as I got older, you know, turned 16, I was able to get a job. I was able to start paying for my own lessons. And then through college and everything like that, I took riding in college, advanced equitation as a PE class, Mm-hmm. I'd also worked as a horseback riding instructor, uh, camp counselor up in New York State, and then I got my first horse shortly thereafter. It's been a journey. Yeah, yeah. What is the timeline of this? How long ago? Uh, let's see. That was 93 when I had my first ride on a horse. So close to 30 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you are like the prime example of if you really want it, you have to work really hard for it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. I believe that. So far in your equestrian journey, have you faced any challenges as a black equestrian? Yeah, there's been a lot. And I think you mentioned one when we first started. The biggest one is that you really just don't see other people like you growing up. And um, I remember there was a, a magazine article about the Ebony Horsewomen, and I think I kept that magazine just for years just so that I could see another black person on a horse. I was really inspired by reading about them. I think I had also read an article in in Ebony magazine, I believe, about Paige Johnson and, you know, her successes as a hunter jumper rider. It, it was good to hear, but there just wasn't a lot. When I was a camp counselor and riding instructor in New York, there was one other riding instructor out of Colorado who was also black. But literally across 19, 20 years, that was it. Those 
three cases, <laughs> you know, of black people on horses. So that was kind of a challenge for me. And I'm starting to see pack catalogs, you know, they're starting to feature us on some of their websites and even on our calendars. Got my new smart pack calendar and I was very inspired to see a few black riders in there. Mm-hmm. So I think with social media, things are getting better and I'm realizing there's a whole network of black riders out there finally getting connected. And I just think that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I agree completely. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's one of the things with the Facebook algorithm. I literally was just looking at this like maybe 10 minutes ago on Facebook. Uh, his name is Royce. I think he was, I think, I don't even know if it's a he or she. So I'm sorry, Royce, Royce, if you listen to this, but I saw the Facebook status. He was saying he had like 20 friend requests and it was all like horse related and he was just trying to figure out like I get 20 friend requests a day like what is going on and I think it's (laughs) I think it's the algorithm with Facebook like they can put together either like what your interests are I don't know Mm -hmm. if it's from your cookies or whatever you know connected to your online identity you know we're starting to get in that people you may know a bunch Mm -hmm. of black horsemen and horsewomen and that's just wonderful. Yeah. 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 I do <laughs> so I too. Not, I do too. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess it's not as much of a challenge anymore than it was, but because it was just such a long time of feeling kind of on my own. Right. You know, I still, I still believe that we're underrepresented. Um, oh yeah. You know, I, I still like to see others like me out there. Mm-hmm. Now, another challenge since you asked for me at least, Hair care and styling. Woo! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so much about it. <laughs> we have talked and, about um, that. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah we need to put yeah. together a little clip, a video or something to help us sister out because, yeah, I completely <laughs> agree. Like, if people know me, usually when I ride, I have on a baseball hat. And my okay. my mom was like, like, when we go on trail rides and stuff, and she saw me getting ready one time and she was like, why are you putting your hair in the hole in the back of the hat? I was like, mama, my hat. So my hat doesn't come off. <laughs> like I have a big old Afro puff in the back. So my hat won't fall off when I'm running through the woods. <laughs> like that's yeah. why. I mean, I know it's even worse with helmets, but I'm like, just these random things like the other people don't have to deal with. Yeah, it's our reality. It is our reality. How do you normally do your hair so you can put your helmet on? Well, you know, it really depends. Um, For the most part, I'll just pull it back into a little bun, and it's got to be a real low bun because the helmet is down so far. Yep. So that usually works for me. For the last, I want to say about the last year, I was stretching my hair and I had it in crochet braids and you know they're very bulky mm-hmm. so I was coming up on my first show of the year and I said my helmet doesn't fit what am I going to do with all this hair underneath mm-hmm. but I had to get creative I found a reasonably priced helmet that could still you know it would still fit mm-hmm. hair nets and ponytails and I made it work you just just have to make it work crochet yeah. braids are so easy <laughs> You know, they're easy in other aspects of life, but when you need to put something on top of it. That's true. <laughs> so very true. I've had a mother um, 
like literally cornrow her hair <laughs> before we started the lesson because we could not get the helmet on for nothing. Oh my, oh my gosh. <laughs> Hopefully it didn't cut into the lunch time. Yeah. I know, right? Ma'am, you only got an hour. You need to crow you need to cornrow quickly. (laughs) Oh Lord. Get those fingers burning. I know, right? Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. I'm glad you brought that up. Especially the thing about just seeing more of us represented in the calendars or even in advertisements, because if I go to a well-known brand, whether it's for helmets or pants or boots, typically mm-hmm. I don't see us. Mm-hmm. And we yeah. wear these these things. And it's like, you know, even though we're not represented, we don't have another choice or another option. Right. right. That is so true. Right. And that's one of my things with, you know, I'm all about some buy a black and all that. Mm-hmm. But... Like, I don't know of any Black-owned companies that are fulfilling, like, the needs that I need for, like, horse care, you know? So, you know, in other aspects of life, it's all good and dandy. Like, if I want to buy a t-shirt, then yeah, but who has a Black-owned helmet business? Like, who has a a Black-owned saddle maker, you know? So, it's true. I mean, I just feel like people are saying, oh, you got this from this mass retailer, buy black. Like, okay, well, where they at? <laughs> you find yeah. a resource, send me their business card and mm-hmm. and I will do my best to support them. But it's just hard yeah. in the in the industry that we have chose to be our passion. Yeah. You, we're not represented as much as far as the athletes and as the professionals as well. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. Hopefully, we can turn it around and change it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And you I mean, I know some inventors. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, and then those are like lost arts. Like you got saddles being made by machines and stuff now. But then there's that down home person that lives in the shack on the corner that's been making saddles for ten decades. You know. Yeah. And been in the family or something. Right. Mm-hmm. And then all these. You know, people know about them, but they don't share that information. No, so, and then you find out when that person dies, and it's like, oh my god, yeah, there's nobody left. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that knows how to how to do that. Like, I had my cowboy boots re, not resold. I just had the heel replaced because okay. I got them on consignment. Apparently, some really heavy person was wearing them before, and they were like bow legged or something. But the heels were like leaning to the side. And actually, for Caitlin's wedding, I went into the shoe shop, and I realized any other person would have been like, "Can't wear them. Let me go get another pair." But there's okay. people here that like fix shoes. They can repair a shoe. I mean, he's got this little, all these little tools, and I'm like, that has got to be a lost art, like shoemaking. Mm-hmm. Where do you find a shoemaker? That's just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, he was like, oh, these are some good boots. I'm so glad you brought them in here instead of throwing them away. And I'm like, well, I'm happy that you're happy. Because <laughs> I'm happy too. Like $30 and, you know, these real leather Steve Madden cowboy boots were fixed. <laughs> so it's just, I mean, the little things, man. And he did it. No questions asked. That's 
that's great. Because a yeah. lot of times, you know, another challenge is that I'm, I feel like I'm not being taken seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, they mm-hmm. see you driving in, you know, your three-quarter ton truck and mm-hmm. a gooseneck trailer. Nobody really expects a female, let alone a black female, to step mm-hmm. out. No. So it, it's interesting that the, the boot guy felt, you know, hey, you know, she trusts me to to work on her boots and didn't look at you sideways because mm-hmm. you didn't look like maybe the normal people he's used to seeing coming in the shop. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So when I take my trash to the dump, I take it on a, a little bitty trailer and even backing it into the dump, like I'll get out and the guys are like, Whoa, <laughs> we were, we were betting money to see if you could back it up. I said like, what? I'm not going to pull something I can't back. Yeah. You, you serious right now? <laughs> Next time you place a bet, let me in on it so I can cash out, okay? <laughs> like, really, y'all? Really? It's just amazing how people underestimate yeah. people they're not yeah, familiar with. <laughs> I like your sense of humor, though. You know, you got to have that sense of humor. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially because I may not have been as funny if I didn't back it in very well. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Have you ever had to <clears throat> explain yourself or, or some of the differences that we just have in cultures with your fellow equestrians that you're around? You know, no, I haven't. I don't feel the need really to explain or justify, for lack of a better word. I walk in to my barn or to a show and I just feel like I'm the same as everyone else. You know, mm-hmm. there's no need to be surprised or shocked to see me. Mm-hmm. at a show or an event and I, I feel like I won't explain you know mm-hmm. I'll educate yeah if someone asks me a question like hair products that's a good example one lady at my barn had said to use the pink oil on her someone told her to use the pink oil luster's pink oil and she said something about it being in the ethnic section at Walmart and then she kind of caught herself and felt embarrassed and I said you know I'm glad to hear about that too because I might go and use that on my horse mm-hmm. you know I got some so in the cabinet times, <laughs> yeah 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 a lot of times some people feel like they have to walk on eggshells around you thankfully I've never had any anybody actually slip and say something offensive mm-hmm. that I have heard or that I've known but you know I don't mind ever educating people if they have questions about my braids or or anything that I do but when I walk into a show or to a barn or something like that, I just expect to be treated the same as you. I'll treat you equally. I don't come in pompous or shy or afraid. Or I mean, I'm a, a quiet person by nature, but I don't react. And ironically, you know, you treat a reactive horse the same way. You just be calm and you make it no big deal. You just normalize and desensitize. Mm-hmm. And same with people. I remember I had a coworker. She did dressage. I can't remember what it's called. I guess in hand, but you know, she trots her around in hand. I can't remember. With half Arabs. She has a half Arab. And she stopped me one day in the hall and was like, Hey, can I just ask you something and you just not judge me? Because I've been trying to muster up the courage to ask you. And I was like, What? And she was like, So I've been braiding my horse's hair for these shows and I've been using this gel and it gets really flaky. Do you have any suggestions of maybe some gel that I could use on her hair when I'm braiding so there's no flyaways and 
it doesn't flake. And I was like, girl, you mustered up the courage to ask me that? Yeah. <laughs> like, what in the world? I said, go to the beauty supply store, get some eco styler. It's black. Your horse's mane is black. <laughs> if it flakes up, it'll be black. So you won't have mm-hmm. to worry about it. And it was just like, ooh, good question. Do we as black equestrians kind of put on a defense you know so that people feel like they can't ask us questions like that mm-hmm. or is it just race relations in america in general you know maybe some people are just like you know what i don't want to say anything offensive and at this point people probably don't even know what is offensive exactly <laughs> there's yeah there's a lot of you gotta be not rude right. situations and people just don't know anymore yeah yeah that's a very fine line and you know they don't want a chance ruin a rela- ruining a relationship over a simple question or like they don't want us looking at them crazy which we probably <laughs> would anyway asking something like that yeah how has having horses and riding horses impacted your life The first thing is that it just allows me to meet so many different people, especially, you know, if I go out on a trail ride or I go out to a show or something like that. I actually met one of my good friends who's also a black rider at a show this year, and she's she's working on hosting her own recognized dressage show next year. So, you know, I'm really proud of her for doing that. and You know, I want to try to support her as much as possible. I think having horses also affects your life because it teaches people to be responsible. I feel like I've always kind of been a responsible person, especially when you have to go out and feed or you have to go out and muck and it's raining and it's 10 degrees or you have the flu and you're sick. So you realize you just really don't get a day off. It it becomes part of your life. You just have to kind of get out there and do it. It also affects trust because you work on bonding with an animal that's five, six times your size, and you have to, to some extent, develop a trust in them, because you can train them so much, they'll still react to certain things, and you won't always be able to prepare for it, Mm -hmm. but the fact that you just get up there on their back, and you run through the forest, like you said, Mm -hmm. you know, anything can happen, but you have to have that trust, and also, you know, if they're sick, or if they're hurt, they'll do anything for you, Mm -hmm. once you've earned their trust. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's always important to reciprocate that and keep that trust in that you'll be there for them when they need it. So it, it really does impact my life a lot. I don't go through a day without thinking about my horse. What's she doing? How's she feeling? Is there something I can get for her? I try to get out and visit her as much as possible because she's at a boarding stable right now. Mm-hmm. I don't have my own property. But I mean, she is ingrained in my life. If I'm on vacation, I'm thinking about her. You know, right. What can we work on next? Or what field is she out there with? Has she made any new horse friends? <laughs> I don't know. It could just be the animal person, animal lover in me, but she's constantly on my mind. Yeah. Oh, how far away is she from where you live? Oh, she's not far at all. She's about half an hour. So I, I try to get out there about four or five times a week, ride or just visit and just give treats or something like that. Well, I don't think we've ever asked anyone what is their routine like from when they start with getting a horse out the pasture to finish. Would you mind telling us? Oh, sure. Let's see. Her current barn is a full care facility. So 
I don't necessarily have to feed and muck every day. Before, I had her in a self-care facility, mm-hmm. and I was out there twice a day every day, and that's the snow and the rain. That's where I really realized that this is impacting my life in a good way because that's what I chose. You know? Yeah. I chose that for myself. But my typical routine, you know, I'll arrive at the barn, and if I need to change my clothes, because sometimes I'll change at work before I drive down, and other times I'll change there at the barn, change my clothes. She's usually in because of the heat, although they'll be changing to going out at night. So she's usually in her stall when I arrive, and I'll just kind of say hi to her. I'll check her over, just kind of see how she's doing. Then I'll go get my tack and my grooming kit. I'll pull her out, put her in the grooming stall, and I'll do my grooming routine. I always make sure that she's got both her shoes on and her boots. You know, she wears the the bell boots to keep her shoes on. Mm-hmm. A lot of times I find myself taking an extra trip back out to her field because she's somehow torn off her boots. I got to go find them. Yeah. I like doing that because that cuts into my riding time. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, I'll groom, tack up, and then um, I typically just hit the arena. I don't, I don't really do a whole lot of wasting time or piddling around or anything where both of us are very much get down to business kind of people mm-hmm. and people and horse. <laughs> so we'll get in there and we might work on a dressage test or we might just work on a few little exercises to help the balance or just help her get a little supple. I'll do that about three times a week. And then on the fourth day, I'll take her out to the trails just to kind of relax and get her a change of scenery so to speak. So after we go through our exercises and everything, it'll be about 30 to 40 minutes to cool down. And then I'll spray her off, just make sure that she's fully cooled down. I don't like to just throw her back in the stall and she's still really sweaty and, and real breathing hard and everything. Mm-hmm. I feel like she works hard for me, so I need to take the extra time to make sure she's comfortable before I put her away for the night. Mm-hmm. And then she always gets some kind of treat. It's either carrots or Smart Pack cookies or something from Tractor Supply. Mm-hmm. Both of us like to eat. So, I mean, <laughs> we're, Same. we're definitely spirit animals. <laughs> Same. So, I make sure she gets her little treat and everything. You know, I'll put her away and, and I'll say bye till the next time. Oh, cute relationship. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, your horse now, was dressage always her discipline? No, no. You know, like we talked before, it wasn't even really my discipline. Right, right. That's what I was asking. Did she come up with that transition with you? Yeah, yeah. We um, we kind of learned together. She was, when I first got her, she came from kind of a bad situation. She was living in a trailer park, and it had a real small courtyard of dirt and grass in the middle. And she was just real underweight, but she had been trained to ride. So She had that going for her, but she really didn't know anything about turning or leg pressure or anything like that. So the barn that I was at at the time when I bought her, um, the barn I moved her to, they had one trainer who came out. And I knew that she needed some help with just building on the basics that she already knew. So I wanted to work with the trainer because she was a professional. That trainer only taught dressage. And Mm -hmm. I said, well, she's here and my horse needs to learn something. So why not give it a try? And I really liked it. I did it a little bit as a a kid, but I never really got into it the way that I'm into it now. 
just learning the precision, the balance that it takes. And she is, my horse has really improved so much over the years we've been working together. Mm-hmm. How long have you had her? I've had her for five years and she's 10 years old now. Oh, okay. She's still a youngin'. Yeah. <laughs> so do you feel like cross training? Well, I guess she didn't really have very much training initially, mm-hmm. but do you feel like or cross training for you has made you kind of a more well-rounded or a better rider. Like you have more understanding as far as kind of the different aspects of riding. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the leg position is different from hunter jumper. The saddle is not too much different, but I guess because the, the dressage saddle is a little more straight on the, the front end, mm-hmm. it forces your leg into a, a different position than, than hunter jumper. But yeah, absolutely. I think working with her has has made her more well-rounded. I've learned a lot as well. You know, I just really believe in having a, a really well-rounded, well-mannered partner. So we like to do a little bit of everything together. You know, I take her out on trails. We've done mounted police obstacle training with the. Oh, I love that. Park. That's my favorite oh, thing. <laughs> it's, it's a great. They have a clinic once a year, and it's a great clinic. We've done the clinic a couple years in a row. We've done horseback archery, which my horse is not too keen on it, but it's still fun, you know, just Mm -hmm. trying to expose her to a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. And she'll give it a try. (laughs) It's just like a kid. You you always put kids in different activities to see what they like, see what sticks. It's just like a kid. That's a good comparison. It's exactly the same. And clearly she trusts you. <laughs> right. To be doing all that. Do all that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's she's a good girl. So tell us a little bit more about the mounted archery. Okay. We've done maybe two or three different events with archery. And there was an instructor out of Georgia who travels. I think now she travels all across the country. But because she was so close, she hosted a clinic in Tennessee. And it came up in one of my social media websites that I follow that there was this event that was introduction to mounted archery. I brought my horse for that, although you don't need a horse. They, the farm that she teaches at, any farm that she teaches at, usually has rental horses available that are exposed to it. So that's one less thing you have to worry about. Mm-hmm. But it was an all-day clinic, and the first part of the day is just working on the ground. I have no experience with a bow and arrow or anything like that, but she teaches you on the ground. She brings all the bows, all the arrows she thinks you need. She brings the targets and everything. So the horses are all put away. And the first thing she works on is just your position and your aim. I don't really remember a lot of her credentials, but she she's pretty well ranked, at least in the Southeast, and with her teaching methods and, and her herself competitions so it's all groundwork you work with groups of other people and she comes around and just kind of corrects your position and lets you know try it this way try it that way so you really get comfortable with shooting a bow and arrow just on the ground right and then after we eat lunch we usually bring the horses out and we spend a lot of time desensitizing the horses because a lot of them have never seen or heard the noise you know that it makes so we spend a couple hours doing that And that's the extent of the day for some people. Some people don't feel comfortable getting on their horse and shooting from up there. 
So they'll just work on the ground. Other people will mount their horse and try it first, you know, at a walk just to see if they can hit the target as the horse is moving forward. I thought that was a very informative clinic. It was very different. It was just it yeah. was really fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think that I am coordinated enough. You might be surprised. To look with my eyes, to pull, do things with my hands, and ride, and not fall off. Yeah. I think it's amazing. <laughs> I would like to try it, maybe not on my horse. <laughs> I need I need to rent a horse, rent a horse and try. <laughs> Cause yeah, mine would be like, um, I'm, no, ma'am, we need to work on this. Don't just take me to this clinic and think I'm about to do this. <laughs> yeah, mine was not too keen because we'll start out at a walk, and she's fine if I have the bow and and the arrow in my hand. But as soon as I put the the arrow onto the bow that click noise that it makes mm. she starts trotting she thinks the click means go so mm-hmm. we have a little bit more work to do on that it's a work in progress there's always learning how to communicate to horses and speak their language yeah yes which i found so fascinating like we don't expect them to learn our language we have to learn how to speak their language mm-hmm. we shouldn't anyway you know yeah some people will be like, didn't I say do do do? It's like, <laughs> you realize that doesn't matter, right? <laughs> like, I, oh, Caitlin, I, I didn't even tell you this. I was on the trail ride, the last trail ride, when this little boy was riding. And I felt, I felt like I could not share with him what I needed to in, in a correct way. So I didn't say anything. <laughs> but yeah 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 so but he was he was pulling on the reins pulling on the horse's mouth he said he was like ho 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 and he said didn't i say ho and then he smacked him on the butt with his stick and i was like what did you just tell the horse to do right you just told him to go and you're you are like he's gonna go up if you keep on and so the little boy is like, I mean, the horse is prancing around, prancing around. And I'm like, you know, this little boy doesn't know any better because that's what he's seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is maybe how his um, parents talk to him. Yeah, I had like this whole moment when I was deciding to just not say anything <laughs> until until the situation got unsafe. Which it didn't, so I didn't say anything. I wonder how some of these kids coming up, how their interaction with their horses is a reflection of people's interaction with them, especially at that young age where they don't know any better. They don't have the access to the resources to know better. They're not at a barn. They're not with a trainer. They're just outside. Their family rides horses, so they get thrown on a pony too, and here we go, y'all. So it just made me... It just made me kind of think about what we experience in our lives and how that affects how we communicate with these horses. Because it's all nonverbal for the most part, yeah, except for the, the routines that they learn, like the click and whoa. You know, that's just because you just happen to slow them down. I mean, ideally you slow them down with your seat, but 
you say whoa at the same time. So that's routine. It's not that they know you're saying whoa. You could say basketball and slow them down with your seat. <laughs> it's just something something to think about because it prevents me from judging people initially. <laughs> yeah, uh. different experiences and different ways of doing things. Yeah, it's very interesting to think about. Mm-hmm. We could have a, like a whole separate episode on that. Yeah, we could. And with that being said, uh, what advice would you give to, you know, the next generation of Black equestrians and the ones that are interested in horseback riding or even the ones who have access to horses, but maybe they want to go a little further than what they're doing? Well, I would say if someone already has access to horses, they want to go a little further. For the most part, most of us are not really where we want to be. We always have that next goal that we're pursuing. I know a lot of people will spend a lot of their time riding lesson horses and they're waiting for that day that they can bring their own horse home. My advice is to just be patient. If you want it, it will come. Again, it doesn't come without a lot of hard work and a lot of effort that you have to put into it. I would say for those who don't really have much of a a horse background, but they're interested, they want to learn, maybe their neighbor has horses and and they just want to get into it. My advice, and I really can't stress this enough, is to become a horseman or a horsewoman. It's not just sitting in the saddle and looking pretty and copying what you see on the movies and things like that. You have to learn and understand the nature of the animal as well as the specific animal that you're riding. You have to learn how to interpret their behavior. And you really need to get an intimate knowledge of lots of different horses to be successful. And that really takes time. I've had people ask me, I like horses. Which one should I buy? And I'm like, well, slow down, Caterpillar. Right. (laughs) First, take some lessons. Yeah. And then learn what it takes. You have to really immerse yourself and see that lifestyle. Are you willing to be at the barn at 9 o'clock at night when your horse is colicking? Right. Are you willing to take to take off work and meet the vet so your horse can have their teeth done? There's so many nuances to it that a lot of people really don't think about. They bring a horse home or buy a horse, board it at the barn, and really don't know the first thing about caring for that animal. So definitely learning to feed and care for them properly. Riding is not a hobby to pick up and just put down whenever you feel like it. You actually have a horse, you know, another living being that's relying on you. You got to get your hands dirty, both literally and figuratively. I guess the last piece of advice I would have for anyone, whether it's a lesson horse or your own horse, just take the time to instill good manners in all the horses that you handle, because every reaction, your personal reaction to what the horse does, is you're training it, whether it's for better or for worse. Mm -hmm. So that next person, whether it's the next person who's taken the lesson, or the next person, if your horse ever changes hands has to deal with the behavior that you've either trained in or trained out. Just teach them what's acceptable so that anyone can handle them and just be a good ambassador for for the horse community. I feel like as black riders, we kind of have a double disadvantage because just horses as a whole, they're not as common in our society as they once were. Mm -hmm. So we're having barns shut down. We're having trails being taken away for our use. Things like that. And on top of that, we're also black and there's just not very many of us. So if you happen to be the only person 
with a horse that someone happens to see, just make sure you're a good ambassador, you're setting a good example. And I think that will help spread the passion of horses to other people. That was beautifully said. Yes, yeah, that was excellent. Well, thank you so much for having me. This is wonderful. You know, I was so happy to hear about your website and your podcast and everything like that. I, just, I love what you ladies are doing, getting the word out there and being those ambassadors. Yes, yes, we are thank trying to you. be those lights. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Young Black Equestrians, the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for updates. Listen, rate, and review us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Tune in next week for another episode.